Welcome to Right to Food, the award-winning voice of the Food Foundation. I'm Saf and I'm one of the young food ambassadors from across the country, campaigning for better access to good food for everyone. We ambassadors have a vision and we've written the Children's Right to Food Charter, calling for government action to tackle child food poverty and obesity. This week, we're looking at how healthy and sustainable the food is that we eat when we're not at home. I don't tend to go for meal deals anymore because they're more expensive, so I'll get something from Greg's. I'm vegan, so I always go for the vegan options, Um, usually the vegan sausage roll, because they always have it in stock. It's a lot easier to find those options, especially living in Brighton. I would say bread, costa, sushi, or a salad, or a tuna toasty. Five days a week. (laughs) Yes. Just a sausage roll. It's nice. I probably eat yeah, three to four times a week. Yeah, I probably the same amount, three or four times. Oh, there's ever a Euros van at the station, or there's Tesco's there for a meal deal. Uh, I got a vegan sausage roll and a cheese and bacon. It's normally just convenience. It's not the worst thing in the world. I've got a little protein in it, so like it's fine. Yeah, I wouldn't find anything. I would say less than six pounds. Everything else would be like either Greg's or pastries. So yeah. The cheese and ham baguette. Yeah, I'll have it on a tray. <laughs> and if that's what the grown-ups are eating, what's happening to the kids? Laura Chan is from the Soil Association, whose Out to Lunch campaign aims to raise the health and environmental standards in children's food on the high street and in visitor attractions. So some of the most unhealthy food items that we see are predominantly deep fried, so burgers with lots of chips, um, but also meals that don't contain any veg or perhaps you can only have fries and there's there's no other side that you could have um, with your meal and a lot of the food is quite ultra processed so shaped meat products such as fish fingers chicken goujons that kind of thing Um, but aside from that we see really sugary desserts still on the menu um, and it's quite shocking that they're still there there has been some improvement but um last year in the Out to Lunch campaign found that about 40% of desserts contained more than the recommended daily allowance for four to six-year-olds of sugar, um, which I think really needs to change. The Soil Association is one of the Food Foundation's partners, looking at how to change the food culture on the high street. Laura says it's essential to start with children's menus. The out-of-home sector has a really big part to play in normalising food habits um, and the healthy eating habits of our next generation. Um, And I think if we had more diverse meals, which are representing real food and healthy food with lots of veg, um, then I think it can really shape the future diets and dietary habits of the next generation. And I think that's really key um, to changing what's out in the out-of-home sector at the moment. The out-of-home sector, as it's known in the industry, is the focus of the Food Foundation's annual State of the Nation report, which comes out this week, and it's not looking good. The report finds that the whole sector is woefully behind in setting health targets and providing healthier food options. There's almost no data on home delivery and takeaway businesses, but the sector as a whole must be held to account, given its increasing influence on public health. Rebecca Toby is one of the authors of the report with Chloe McKean and Indu Garang. So what is the state of the nation's food? I think we can see that some progress is being made. Um, certainly the retail sector have really engaged with these issues and you can see that because in terms of target setting, they are very much ahead of caterers, 
restaurants, the out-of-home sector in general when it comes to setting health and sustainability commitments. Um, but smart targets are still, you know, it's, it's patchy. We'd like to see um, more targets being set, particularly in the out-of-home sector. Um, we'd like to see more reporting. Um, and I think just maybe some more ambitious thinking here. Um, you know, there, is, there aren't a huge number of companies who have smart targets in all of the areas we've identified as being useful. Um, so we'd really like to see that um, as well as, you know, companies continuing to support low-income customer groups, you know, a focus on making sure people aren't priced out of healthy foods. Um, there's so much more that we could all be doing here and, and we'd really like to see people, um, you know, not coasting, basically. She told me what it set out to achieve. We know that there's, um, you know, a long way to go in the UK to shift our food system so that it delivers um, more sustainable and more healthy products that crucially are ones that everybody can afford and are accessible to all. Um, that's where we'd like to get to. We know there's still a long way to go. Um, we also know that um, food businesses, so predominantly retailers or supermarkets and uh, the out-of-home sector, which is restaurants and, and cafes and the like, we know that they are the main channel through which um, people buy food. Um, so if we are going to end up um, having a sustainable food system, uh, we need to make sure that those businesses are supporting um, us as we move towards that goal. More than a quarter of adults and a fifth of children eat out of home each week. Whether that's on their way to or from school or work, it includes restaurants and cafes, but also work canteens. For a lot of people, there's still a, a sort of feeling that, oh, you know, people only eat out in restaurants or in cafes or, or what have you, you know, whatever you have, um, very occasionally or as a special treat. But actually, that's not no longer the case. So I think the statistic is that roughly 25% of, of calories are eaten out of the home. Um, and if you take, at, you know, out of home is not just, you know, your treat restaurant, it's your prep breakfast, it's um, lunch in your office canteen, that all counts as out of home, you know, whether it's a takeaway or, or restaurant. Um, and so we know that people are getting a, a significant proportion of their energy and their nu nutrition from um, the out of home sector. So it's important that we make sure they're also supporting um, our goal of, of a more healthy and sustainable food system. Building a picture of the state of the nation is a result of a collaboration with other charities and organisations campaigning for a change in the food system. Rebecca told me why we're better together. You know, there's a lot of different food businesses. Um, there's a lot of different stakeholders when it comes to the food industry. Um, at the Food Foundation, we very much uh, take a collaborative approach in all the work we do because we think that is much more impactful and everybody can bring their own um, experiences and expertise to the table. Um, and that includes, you know, food businesses as well. Um, so we, we've looked here to pull together lots of the really great work that is already going on here in terms of how do we shift UK food system. Um, and so we've, we've tried to sort of bring all, all the, the current findings together in one place. One of the Food Foundation's partners is Eating Better, an alliance of 60 organisations to transform how we produce and consume food. Its goal is to halve our meat and dairy consumption in the UK by 2030 for the sake of our planet, but also for animal welfare. Simon Billing is its executive director. So we bring together organisations with expertise in health, the environment, animal welfare, social justice. So a lovely kaleidoscope of organisations who are all looking towards a system with much less meat and dairy, 
but much better meat and dairy. The report finds that businesses currently performing most strongly when it comes to healthy and sustainable diets are Sainsbury's, Lidl and Greg's. But we can't rely on that game-changing Greg's vegan sausage roll. Simon says healthy and affordable plant-based food must be more available and affordable when we're out and about. We recognise that many of us want to eat better, so want to eat less meat, and we, we've tracked it regularly and we tracked it recently and 60% of the UK population are telling us they're looking to eat less meat. Well, the most obvious way and easiest way of doing that is going out for a meal and finding great options that have less meat and are more plant-based. So whether that's your high street restaurant, your local restaurant, your local cafe, and it's absolutely critical place because that's the way where we can see better eating, better dining, and, and really see it focused on the plate. The interest in plant-based foods has massively increased over the past few years. And, as the report finds, the market has responded with masses of plant-based alternatives on menus and supermarket shelves. But it says that there is little research on how healthy these plant-based alternatives are. The food industry needs a much clearer definition of what sustainable and healthy products are and how to measure them. Plant-based alternatives are, are great because, you know, they're, they're a bridge for many people from moving away from quite meat-heavy diets. Um, but it does come with a few concerns, I think. You know, uh, plant-based is a very wide, <laughs> wide terminology. You know, that's everything from what I like to think of as old-school plant-based, which is, you know, fruit, veg, beans, nuts but also um, everything from sort of cultivated meat to, um, you know, corn or microprotein. There's so many different alternatives in this space. I think it's really important to remember that we still want those to be as healthy as possible. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're all pretty much going to be less environmentally impactful than meat, but we need to make sure that, you know, we're not also then just moving to a world where the plant-based alternatives are high in salt, high in fat, and are, are not going to be as great for people's health as we'd like them to be. And plant-based foods need to be available to everyone, which means affordable and accessible. Rebecca's been scrolling. You know, you just have to go on Instagram and, and type, you know, hashtag plant-based, and you'll get gazillions of hits but a lot of those sort of plant-based diets I would say are pretty out of reach for many people you know not everybody can afford a, a you know special smoothie bowls and sprinkling of chia seeds um, but but you know you, they don't have to to eat more plant-based but I think we need to be careful not to let perceptions of what plant-based is then impact on what is actually available for, for people to to buy when when they are looking to shift away from meat. The State of the Nation features Eating Better's sandwich and ready meal surveys, which paints a picture of how far we still have to go before plant-based alternatives are foods that everyone can afford. Simon Billing. Price is a fundamental problem here. So across many of the retailers, the plant-based option, or particularly the alternative protein, which is a category that we saw significantly growing, is more expensive so retailers have to work out and have to promote um, much more the plant-based options. And of course, there are a range of less novel plant-based proteins, the humble pulse, the humble beans, 
um, and what a wonderful array of options that they can create. But I think ultimately, if price and what we've seen on sandwiches, they're higher priced, then of course, it's going to be much more difficult. The other thing they can look at, obviously, is the other, other side of the coin, which is their meat-based offer. And we did a survey earlier on in the year where we found meat was heavily promoted. So I think they could look at the pricing around meat and making it, you know, making the good stuff really affordable and accessible. And I think that that's co- completely critical for all of us now when we're thinking about the cost of living um, and thinking about our pocket. Simon says that we need to be monitoring all the places we eat when we're not at home. So, so we do a regular retailer survey every year to really sort of track changes in the food environment, just as generally the Food Foundation is looking across that food environment. And obviously we're looking at meat and dairy in particular and sustainable and healthy eating. So we take iconic uh, categories which all of us eat or dip into, whether that's ready meals, nine out of ten of us have a ready meal, or sandwiches, we're picking up sandwiches. So this um, last year, we've looked at the whole sandwich category <coughs> across food service and retailers. So that's more than 500 different sandwiches, which is done with Oxford University, who, who uh, are very clever at pulling down all this data and making it very accurate. And what we've found, particularly coming out of the pandemic on the sandwiches, is, is not great in the sense the category is still extremely meaty. So 84% of the sandwiches that you get on the high street, so that's a good proportion, have meat, fish or cheese in. And nearly 60% where meat is the main ingredient. So that's not easy to grab a plant-based or vegetarian option and, and just try doing that when you go into the, your store or into your cafe. Um, we're looking to see if the ranges are increasing and there's more plant-based so options, so more veg, more plant proteins, more of all the good stuff. Um, and we're looking to see that it's priced competitively with meat. Um, and the recent survey, again, on sandwiches wasn't a great story. Plant-based options came out a lot more expensive than the meat-based options, so how affordable, how accessible is that for the majority of us that are looking both to improve our health, look after the environment and looking for something that's priced competitively? I guess the other finding which is very interesting across both ready meals and sandwiches is lots of the vegetarian options are very cheesy. And that means they're high in saturated fat and high in salt. And it's something that many of the health organisations we we work with are concerned about and would like to see less cheese on the vegetarian options and more, again, of the good stuff, the plant-based diversity. Simon says that we need to be monitoring all the places we eat when we're not at home. Some retailers like Asda and Morrison's, it would be very hard to find a plant-based option now. Some have taken it away completely. So... If we're talking about accessibility for everyone, um, wherever they shop, and it needs to happen in every environment that we find ourselves in. So quite a big focus of the Eating Better Coalition's work has been on public sector. So looking at schools, hospitals, places where our kids eat, places where we go to get better 
And we think the dishes and the way of eating needs to dramatically improve. So we're mirroring that better way of eating, which is, is better for everyone. With all the challenges facing us at the moment, we need all the help we can get. Supermarkets should be helping us make better choices for our health, our pockets and the planet. Rebecca wants to see more initiatives like Iceland has already taken. We're obviously aware, um, you know, the cost of living crisis is increasingly hitting families really very hard. Um, so it's always really great to see businesses taking their, you know, corporate responsibility and citizenship roles really seriously. Um, and Iceland are actually a brilliant example of this. Um, they were staunch supporters of Healthy Start um, right back from the early days of the pandemic. Uh, so they ran a promotion whereby all customers who had Healthy Start vouchers, so those are vouchers um, which basically get you sort of uh, money to spend on milk, fruit and veg, um, healthier foods, and they're targeted very much towards um, low-income families. Um, Iceland ran an offer whereby all customers could get a £1 pack of frozen veg for every voucher they brought into store, um, which is brilliant. And they've, they've built on that um, in subsequent years. So this year, all their own brand milk bottles um, will have a sort of, could you get this milk for free? And then a link to the Healthy Start scheme, which is just a brilliant way to, to sort of drive up awareness um, and, and communicate the benefits of the scheme, which we know many people aren't are aware of. Um, and they also work um, with a partner, Fair For You, to pilot um, microloans. So basically helping um, families who really struggle with, with their budgets and their income stream um, with loans that don't then charge huge interest um, you know, on top, of which, on top of the loans, which often gets a lot of people into real financial difficulty further along the line. Nilani Sridharan is Group Head of Healthy and Sustainable Diets at Sainsbury's and explains how it's upping its game. There are a number of initiatives we have been undertaking as Sainsbury's. Um, not all of them have shown promise, but I would say the ones that do show a lot of promise tend to connect to incentives and really rewarding good behaviour. One of those can be seen through the Nectar Fruit and Veg Challenge, where we use a form of gamification and personalised data to really incentivise customers um, to try something new, to increase the fruit and veg purchases in their basket and track that over time. And, and what we see is that we reward them with badges and points that they can then use towards uh, anything they want to purchase through the Nectar programme at the end of that. Our results have shown that that drives around a 13% increase in uh, fruit and veg purchased. And in particular, you see that that is retained up to six months after the incentives have finished, with customers still retaining that habit of having more vegetables. So it's a really clear example of incentives driving those good behaviours. One major thing to come out of the State of the Nation report is that food businesses must become accountable to all of us. Rebecca says that the only way forward is for retailers and the out-of-home sector to have to report their health and sustainability data. Consumers or, or citizens increasingly want to know more um, about where their food is coming from and how it ends up on their plates. Um, I think we need, um, you know, the government need to see this to be able to get a sense of how do we get the food system changing so that we can hit our net zero commitments and goals, which we're not going to do unless the food system changes. 
Um, and I think it's also very useful for businesses um, and the NGOs that sort of um, monitor and observe what they're doing, because until we have transparency, we've got no idea how far away we are from being where we want to be. Um, and, you know, once you have everybody reporting on the same metrics, then it's much easier to benchmark those companies to compare um, and also to set new targets for, for future um, you know, changes and, and movement. Reporting data of the kind proposed would be a game changer in encouraging greater transparency and allowing for more accurate benchmarking and monitoring of food industry actions. But how can all those out-of-home food providers use the same metrics to build the picture that we need to see? The Food Foundation is on it. The best way to set targets is to make targets smart, so specific, measurable, actionable, time-bound, and then we need businesses to be publicly reporting on the progress they're making against those targets. Um, And what we did uh, through our Plating Up Progress uh, project is we analysed all the information that's out there on what the major food businesses um, are doing in terms of transitioning towards a different food system. Um, And what we found is that um, less than 20% report on sales of healthy or healthier food, um, and only 7% are reporting on sales of animal protein versus plant-based proteins. Um, And if we are going to be able to set you know, ambitious targets and the direction of travel that we want businesses to be moving in, um, then ideally we'd have much more data and more transparent reporting and more businesses setting targets to actually deliver on that. So of all the food businesses that we looked at here, um, Sainsbury's were the only one reporting on what we see as being the three key metrics when it comes to shifting um, diets towards more sustainable and healthy healthy foods. But none of the retailers in the out-of-home sector report on sales of healthy food. 25% report on sales of fruit and veg and none report on sales of animal protein versus plant protein. In retail, of the 27 major supermarkets, leading restaurant chains and caterers within the UK, we found that less than 20% report on sales of healthy or healthier food, only 22% report on sales of fruit or vegetables, and only 7% report on sales of animal protein versus plant-based proteins. Sainsbury's is the only food business that reports on all these three metrics. Nilani Sridharan. I think everyone has uh, greater expectations of retailers. So definitely customers are asking us, um, or really expect businesses to be more responsible and to think about their needs. And we know that health is one of those things that they need help with. Government is also expecting industry to play its part. But importantly, I think one thing that has shifted is that now investors of businesses like ourselves are saying, what are you doing to really um, lead that responsible um, retailing agenda and driving healthier sales? So it's almost all of those three component parts that's driving healthier sales. But she says that reporting isn't as easy as we might think. There is good intent to want to really understand where we're at. Uh, to disclose more information on healthy sales and to be able to um, report on that. But I think some of the challenge is just having good data in-house to be able to do it. So 
For example, for us, it took us almost two years to actually improve our internal data systems and our reporting mechanisms, just so that we could very easily track performance over time to say, okay, we've now set a healthy sales target. We've done so at a leadership level, and that has been fantastic for us to get that real um, buy-in at a senior level for that commitment to drive healthier sales. But in addition to that, we're now able to track progress and inform decisions internally to make sure that health is one of many considerations for our commercial teams when they're thinking about how to drive healthier sales. And Nalani says that helping the customer isn't always about corporate profit. There's an awful lot going on for the customer because, of course, you've got the cost of living crisis. Everyone wants to be doing the right thing, but they're also under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure, um, particularly with the current financial situation. So for us as retailers, what we need to do is balance the importance of value whilst also continuing to remain really focused on the strategy that we know our customers want to see from us, which is helping everyone eat better and uh, driving towards our commitments to achieve net zero by uh, 2030. We're very fortunate that we have pretty good data to say nearly a third of greenhouse gas emissions um, are coming from agricultural sources, of which you know food is clearly the significant part. Um, and as a result, we need to think about what, what we're purchasing and how our diets are impacting our planet. We have limited resources. We cannot afford to keep um, keep consuming at the rate that we do if we're going to feed nearly 10 billion people by 2050. The positive of that is that if we follow a diet that's more in line with our dietary guidelines, which are good for our health, we can see that that will also deliver benefits for people, but also the planet. So actually, a big part of what we need to do whilst we're still figuring out the journey to get there, is to help customers get closer to the Eat Well Guide, which is our dietary guidelines for good health. And once you've started collecting the data, you can see all sorts of really important stuff. That's not just about corporate profit, but it's not enough for one supermarket to be reporting. So Sainsbury's has definitely had a very long heritage of leading on healthier sales and putting health at the heart of of, um, its strategy. But I have to say that's not unique to us as a sector and we know that customers are really demanding it. So without doubt, there are those of us that are really leading the um, that change. But we need the entire sector to move if we're going to see impact at a population level. Customers shop around. They don't just shop at one retailer and they don't just shop in supermarkets. They also shop out of home. So nearly 4.3 different facias. So. We're really strong advocates of um, what we'd call mandatory reporting. So the whole sector reporting on healthier sales. Um, And that's because actually we're having to report on it anyway. So for us, why not bring that data together so that we have a clear picture of where we can take action for material impact? Simon Billing of Eating Better says that mandatory reporting is in everyone's interest and he's quietly optimistic about what that picture could look like. Sainsbury's is one of others that are starting to measure uh, their sales of proteins, both meat and plant. There are others now doing that. Um, I haven't yet seen any targets for that balance, but we do see that in other places. We do now start to see that in the Netherlands. So that is moving. Um, And I think there would be an expectation, actually probably more from investors than me and you, who are sort of plunged into that food environment um, and wanting a good share of affordable options. But I can see that pressure coming on retailers to report. And we see government, 
with the Data Transparency Partnership looking, perhaps through the Food Standards Agency, um, looking at that level of reporting going forward. So I think you're seeing the emerging. It's absolutely critical for uh, eating better. Um, having that reduction and that reporting is a critical part of our roadmap, which all the NGOs across our alliance are calling for. So we're asking for it. You've got a big group there. Government is looking at it. Investors are starting to ask it for it. I think the writing's on the wall. Thanks for listening to Right to Food. You can hear much more about the work we do at foodfoundation.org.uk and by listening to the archive of Right to Food podcasts wherever you find your podcasts.